The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So to begin the talk, I just would like you to meet someone around you. Uh, just as people have come here this evening, some people came with friends, other people just showed up themselves. So maybe you can just meet someone near you, you can share your name and where you're from. And so the topic today is actually the Dharma of Harry Potter. So uh, you could also share with each other, what is your relationship to Harry Potter? Do you, have you seen the movies? Have you read the books? Do you like it? Are you a fan? So we'll just take about five minutes to just get to meet someone around you. Yeah. So as Sean said, my name is Anushka. I actually have come here from San Francisco today. Drove, braved the rush hour traffic to come here. And I'll be doing that for the next um, three weeks, actually. Um, so my friend and colleague, Andrea, is a usual teacher here. And she asked me if I would uh, substitute for her. I think she's teaching on the East Coast, maybe a retreat. And uh, she had suggested me to come up with some theme for uh, the talks. So I came up with this theme that's about Dharma and magic. Uh, and the first one that we're going to do is about the Dharma of Harry Potter. Second one, we're going to talk about the Dharma of time travel. Next one, we'll talk about the Dharma of resurrection. And the fourth one is a wild card to be determined. <laughs> so how many people came here because they wanted to hear about the Dharma of Harry Potter? All right, great. There probably is an equal number of people who saw that title and did not come because of the <laughs> Harry Potter. So I'm actually, uh, I'm happy I got a chance to put it down in a series because, um, you know, sometimes I've gone to give talks and there's not the title, uh, you know, given ahead of time and then people feel like a little trapped when uh, they don't know what, uh, what was up. Um, and how many people have never seen any Harry Potter movies, never read any books? Wow, okay, a couple people. All right, great. So I'll try and give enough, like a little bit of context for you um, so that you understand what's going on. But really the focus of what I want to share with you is about um, the relationship of Harry Potter and this series to our own spiritual life, to your own path, and my reflections on that. So uh, I started um, a little late into this, the Harry Potter series. I'll admit that for the first couple books, I was kind of skeptical, like it's a big fad, everyone's into it, and uh, I, wasn't, I didn't read them, and I didn't see the movies, and then at some point I got the flu, and um, my then-girlfriend came and gave me one of the Harry Potter books, and uh, I think it was book three, and it's sort of written at the level for about, you know, maybe a 10-year-old, which is about what I was reading at that time with the flu, you know. Uh, so I read it, and I loved it, and um, then that kicked me off in reading the other ones, and I think the flu lasted for a while because I read the prior books, and then I watched the movies, and, you know, and really got into it. So from that time, I was a fan and started to follow the series. And this has, of course, been a big international hit, these books, right? Like, the, uh, among the best-selling uh, books, the quickest uh, ones to sell out, and the movies have been the highest grossing and all of that. And for myself, as someone who is both a Dharma practitioner, Dharma teacher, but also someone living in the modern world, I'm always interested in, like, what's the connection here? You know, what's the connection to bringing the teachings of liberation, teachings of freedom, teachings of happiness, and connecting with how things are in the regular and normal world? So as it said in my bio, I have spent a bunch of time in monasteries, uh, practicing and in retreat centers, long silent retreats and so on. 
but also now I'm a person in the world. So I feel like these teachings have to be relevant to us here in the 21st century. So, so that being said, I have read the books and I've seen the movies, but I'm not a um, Harry Potter expert. So if anyone asks me, like, what's Dumbledore's brother's middle name or, you know, uh, what color was the door of this house or so on, I'm not going to know. Uh, but I'm sure there's someone here who will, or you could look it up on the internet. So a number of different uh, aspects that I wanted to reflect on in this. So one is, you know, it seems like, well, what's the appeal of this? Why is there some universal appeal for something like Harry Potter? So in one sense, it's just a good story, right? It's like a good story about kids growing up and finding themselves. And it reminds me of other series that I've read, like uh, about sort of young people's hijinks in their boarding school kind of thing. So uh, Enid Blyton or, you know, some other books. I don't know if Americans are as uh, familiar with those. But then there's another dimension of this whole series that I think is why it's um, caught on so much, which is that it really is... uh, great story of the hero's journey. So it's really uh, akin to a lot of mythology that has been in the past and uh, around all different cultures, around a person's quest for some kind of uh, greater thing in their life. So in this way, I think all of us can kind of relate to that. So Joseph Campbell is the one who who wrote about this hero's journey as a kind of template for... uh, mythological quests uh, and for uh, stories. And it's kind of a a template that has been used um, for a long time that has been there. You can trace it through Greek mythology or through the Ramayana and uh, South Asian literature or uh, George Lucas used this in Star Wars as a template for creating the whole Luke Skywalker and his quest and so on. So I think there's some way in which Harry Potter and his story strikes us on this level too. So in this kind of uh, vein of the hero's journey, there's several different stages that the hero usually goes through. And as you hear about this, think about yourself. So think about your own life, uh, your own adventures. And I think in the Harry Potter series, both the whole series is one journey like this, and also each book, sort of each book or film is sort of its own little journey of Harry's life and his friends. So there basically are three stages in this uh, kind of journey. So the first one is about departure. The second one is about initiation. And then the third one is about return in the hero's journey. So in the first one about departure, there's some kind of call to adventure. So the hero, the main character, is living their mundane life. uh, And that could be in your regular house, or in Harry Potter's case, he was living under the staircase in a small room, you know, not thinking he's very special at all. Uh, In fact, actually having a little bit of a rough time of it. And then there's something that calls him to a different life. And in his case, uh, it seems like there was some sort of uh, foreordained thing that he was supposed to be this great wizard, and he didn't know about it. And then oftentimes people go through then a sort of refusal of the call. Like, oh, not me. Like, you're not talking about me. Like, I'm too small, too uh, insignificant. You got the wrong person, etc., etc. Right. But then there usually is some kind of uh, supernatural or a spiritual guide that comes. So in Harry's case, he has the uh, people from Hogwarts, so the wizards, Dumbledore and Hagrid and all these who come and... Uh, 
in the first part of the book, he actually is um, basically like pulled out of his life, you know, and yanked into this other other world. So you can think about this in your life, about your own call to something greater. And that call to something greater could be uh, anything that's been going on in your life. So for some people, you might relate to this around your own spiritual life. So like Kara, you might have been sort of living in a a state of dukkha uh, under the staircase in some metaphorical or actual way. Uh, Not knowing if there's something better, but feeling somewhat dissatisfied. And then there's this call, right? And so the call could come the first time that you hear about uh, freedom, or if you meet someone who's inspiring to you, who seems like, oh, like, I want to be like that person, I want to know what they know. You know? Uh, it could be the first time that you read about some practice, and something resonates with you about this path, right? And you, should, you, you feel like, okay, I'd like to go on that, I'd like to come. You could reflect also on your own guides. So none of us actually do this alone, right? So all of us have found some support guides along the way. And sometimes they're people that we know, sometimes they're just people that we read about or see, right? Uh, people who inspire us or who lead us along the path. Then there's this uh, need to cross a threshold sort of into the other world. And that usually brings with it like a lot of fear to do that. Now this happens on a larger scale, but also I would suggest that for each of us, actually each time that you sit in meditation, you're going through this process in some way. So, you know, for Harry Potter, he's letting go of his regular muggle world in which things are uh, mundane and uh, as they seem, and actually stepping into this magical world. So this magical world in which time is more malleable, in which uh, you can run through a pillar and end up on platform nine and three quarter, you know. So where things are not exactly as they seem. So space and time is actually uh, different than it is in the regular world. And actually when you decide to sit, and when you actually decide to sit, close your eyes and come into presence, you start to recognize what's actually really true. So beyond our ideas of what's true, so beyond the appearance of things, we actually develop the tools with mindfulness, with concentration, to actually come into contact with a variety of things that seem unusual, even magical in the regular world. Now which is real and which is magical is, you know, we could debate about, but uh, you come into contact with something that's different from the usual way that we relate to things, the usual way we relate to time, the usual way we relate to space, and so on. So next comes the level of uh, initiation. So this is the main uh, sort of journey of this uh, hero and the character. And usually included in this is a series of trials that the character has to go through. So again, this also happens each time that you sit. But it also happens in your broader spiritual path of things that seem like obstacles to your progress. Now it might come as comfort to you to know that in this template of the hero's journey, oftentimes the hero fails at several of these trials. So in case you feel like that's been your story, then uh, that's very normal and that's actually part of the process. So usually you get a whole lot of different trials. And even each time that you sit, you get different trials. Right. So if you sit and try to become present, even as the instructions were today with the breath, different things come up. So you get distracted by something. 
your knee starts to hurt. You start to get itchy or restless. You start to get sleepy. So all of these challenges come up and then you have to learn to work with them. And actually it's only through our attempt and fail, repeatedly in fact, that we learn and develop strength, develop skills. So Harry definitely has a series of trials along every little bit of the way. Uh, there's part during the initiation that also has to do with uh, experiencing of something unconditional, like unconditional love. Uh, so contact with something greater than one's own small view of oneself uh, in the world. For Harry, that's like his memory of his, uh, his mother, his parents. And I'll talk a lot more about this because I think this is one of the main pieces of the story that relates to the Dharma too, is about this metta or unconditional love. So usually the hero goes through temptations, uh, temptations of uh, stepping back, of stepping back into the mundane world. You know, so it's not just like once you take a step over that threshold, you're like full steam ahead. So again, also this happens to you each time you sit sometimes, right? Oh, maybe I'll go watch TV instead. I'll go back to the mundane world, right? Maybe I'll go get a snack. Right? <laughs> maybe I'll call someone or uh, do something else, right? Then there usually is some kind of, uh, in this initiation phase, initiation by some greater figure. Uh, and then actually a death that has to happen. So, uh, kind of dying to oneself, dying to the self that you usually know. And this is something that happens in the spiritual path, both on a moment-by-moment level. So as we let go of our identification with each thing that arises as you sit. But also in the larger sense, as we do this in a bigger and bigger way. So as we actually get into contact more with what's true about who I am and what reality is, and let go our usual way of identifying with ourself. And then the hero gets uh, left with the ultimate boon, whichever that is, of insight or sometimes an object or something like that. And then comes the return. So this last phrase of the return actually, so it's not enough that the hero goes on the journey and actually achieves something, but there's the return and then having to learn how to integrate that into the world, how, having to connect with others, having to uh, speak that, share that. And sometimes there's challenges in that as well. But from that comes then a certain freedom to live, a freedom to be in a different way. So I was describing also the, uh, as you sit, this experience of uh, temptation or uh, challenge that comes up. And, you know, in the Buddhist teaching, there's also a mythology uh, or a teaching about this Mara, right? So Mara is like the tempter. So as you sit in your quest, you know, stable in your posture, trying to be present with whatever it is that arises, Mara shows up in various forms. So you could say in some ways that Mara is like the uh, Voldemort figure, right? So this is the figure that has all these armies at their disposal. And you know, in the Harry Potter stories, it's like actually the, the school is under siege by all these armies of different, like, uh, different kinds of creatures and... Uh, <coughs> unusual uh, beings. And these are like the armies of Mara. So what the armies of Mara, as we said, are of uh, sense desire, of fear, 
of doubt, of hatred, of going to sleep, of fading out. Right? And the description of uh, Buddha's path also describes him sitting through all these on the night of his enlightenment and being able to see through all of these. So seeing through all, all of these and being able to meet them as they arrive. So how are you able to meet these, though? So it takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. So that's where someplace like Hogwarts is helpful. So for Harry, he went to this uh, training school. He was taken to this training school in which he spent six years developing all of these different powers. And uh, if you look at some of the different spells that he learned, a lot of them require a certain amount of concentration, so collectedness of mind, right? being able to learn how to collect the powers of the body-mind system and apply them in a certain way. This is actually also what we're doing in meditation too, collecting the power of our body-mind energies that are usually very disparate, very scattered, and then applying them. So some examples of that uh, in his uh, world so one is the, uh, there's this connection between Harry and this uh, Voldemort, who is like the sort of integrated enemy character, right? And there are certain points at which uh, Harry and this character are so connected that Harry starts to have uh, thoughts that are this character's thoughts, right? And then he, he knows that also this, this character, Voldemort, is able to see into his mind in some way. So he's supposed to learn how to protect his mind, so he's being taught by his teachers like how to protect his mind, how to have strength of mind, right? uh, concentration. Right? One of the main ones also that struck me as um, similar during the uh, watching the movies and reading the books was this protective spell that he does, which is the Petronas charm. So uh, in this book there are these uh, creatures that are... Um, called Dementors, which are like the um, shadowy figures of Vald- Lord Voldemort that bring uh, this sense of like death and coldness. And uh, I think in one of the books, um, it's either Ron or Harry who says, you know, it's like it's sucking all the happiness out of you. you know? And in the movies they have this figure come up and you can actually see their face being like, like sucked into this dark shadowy figure, right? So how do you protect against this is this um, particular spell, which is uh, a spell of remembering some time in which you were very happy, focusing on that, and then projecting it outwards. So for those of you who are here during the meditation that we did, the last part of the meditation that we did, which was this metta meditation, uh, the practice of loving kindness, is actually basically that. And that spell, if you will, was actually also taught by Buddha as a protection. It was actually a protection for uh, monks and nuns who at the time were going to meditate in the forest and were spooked by some uh, something or someones in the forest and came running back to him and he taught them this uh, spell, if you will. So this uh, practice of loving kindness, of cultivating this pure heartedness, being able to focus that and project it outwards. So it's the power both of the concentration and of the purity of heart that's important there. And for me, actually, that's also one that I use. So I've actually developed that um, practice for many years, and I use that when I'm scared. 
Or I use that when I'm in a situation where I feel like I need protection. Or even if I'm somewhere, I'm walking down a street and I'm feeling like things are a little bit iffy. You know, I start doing that practice. And it both brings stillness and strength to my own heart. Uh, but also I, I believe that there is some sense of protectiveness that that gives outwardly too. But you can uh, experiment with that in your life and see. So the other dimension that's um, similar is this, uh, this sense of the power of metta through uh, Harry's protection from his mother. So the kind of foundational uh, pre-story is that this Lord Voldemort tried to kill Harry when he was a child, but he actually couldn't kill him because of the love of his mother. So the love of his mother basically made this uh, curse that Voldemort gave him bounce off. Uh, and only left him with a small little lightning-shaped scar on his forehead. Uh, But it was the intense love of his mom, the unconditional love that was actually protective to him. And Harry actually taps back into this during many different times of the story. And this is actually sort of what um, separates him from this Voldemort uh, character. So at different times in the story, in Harry's trials and tribulations, he actually does start to uh, get angrier. He starts to hate someone, so someone who has killed his friend, or uh, he's, Harry's a very loyal person, so particularly when something has happened like that, right? And there are d- many times when he's about to do something that would be basically what Voldemort would have done, of you know, casting this killing curse, or you know, taking revenge in some intense way. And you can see at that moment, he's in this struggle, you know, he's really in this struggle of what to do, right? But always he actually lets it go, like he can't, he can't do it, he can't actually kill in that way. And his, uh, his mentor, one of his many mentors, um, Sirius, his godfather, also tells him uh, at some point when he's having a lot of doubt about himself and he's getting more and more uh, angry memories and feelings from this connection with Voldemort. Um, you know, I feel like something's wrong. I feel like I'm a bad person. All this is playing out in me. I just feel like angry all the time. <laughs> so his mentor says, you know, Harry, you're not a bad person. You're a good person who had bad things happen to them. And you know, it's not just that the world is separated into good and bad. We all have good and bad within us. What makes us who we are is the power that we have to choose our actions. That's what makes us who we really are. So this is an important piece of uh, understanding along our spiritual path too. Right? So as we develop awareness, as we start to see our own mind-heart system, as we start to pay attention, and we see like we're a mixed bag, right? Like for most of us, our intentions are really a mixed bag. So sometimes very wholesome, generosity, compassion, kindness, courage, wisdom, and sometimes less noble, right? So sometimes there's jealousy, anger, revenge, fear, hatred. So it's good to recognize those things. It's really important to recognize all those things and not actually just pretend that you're all one thing, you know? So the, the job of the hero is not to pretend to be all good. It's to have the courage to actually face all of these things that arise. And then as you see them coming up, you know, your choice is which one do I want to act on? Right? Which one do I want to use to catapult me into action? Which ones do I want to speak from? And that's actually what builds the character that we have. And in terms of uh, karma, teachings of karma, you know, that which arises within our heart in our mind, that's not actually under our control in the moment. But what we do with that 
if we're able to recognize that, that's where we're able to plant the seeds in the moment for the future, for the next moment, for the next thing to happen. So just like Harry, he found himself, he had taken birth, and here he finds himself like living under the stairways and in this family, and you know, he finds he has these different powers, and he can talk to snakes, and you know, all kinds of things. We all find ourselves born into a certain family, sort of with certain abilities, with certain advantages, with certain disadvantages. And for all of us, our path is to recognize our own strength. So both recognize our strength in terms of the relativity of you know, our strengths and talents and what we can offer in the world, but also in a broader sense to recognize this potential for all of us to awaken. So this potential for all of us to access this kind of purity of heart, to plant these seeds, to develop along this way. So everybody in this room who is here has had, for some reason, has shown up here today. Right? So you've had some, some karma <laughs> has... A, propelled you here so that you, know, you get to hear about this and uh, have been hearing about this or maybe for the first time, right? But that's already your call, right? So already your call is here, your call for your journey. I also want to emphasize this piece about uh, integrity. So I talked about how you know, Harry was not able to actually kill and he, he recognized, you know, this is the difference between me and Voldemort. It's like, I have love, I have friendship, I have connection. Uh, I have something worth fighting for. I have something that I want to protect. You know? and, and he knew that from his, his mom and from his friends and from his teachers. He had that kind of connection. So the sense of integrity is also a real protection for us. And in the Buddhist teachings, it's articulated as a sila, or as the precepts. And with the precepts, it's like, uh, if we're actually an enlightened being, we naturally will act in accordance with these precepts. So if we're actually aligned with the way things are, if we actually have an awareness about our interconnection, we won't kill other beings. We won't take things that are not freely offered. We won't harm others or ourselves with our sexuality, sexual energy. We won't speak false because we're aligned with the truth. And also we will tend towards this kind of clarity. So we'll avoid uh, taking in things that will uh, damage that, such that we will do any of the other things that we'll regret. So this quality of, of uh, wholesomeness, of integrity, is also an important piece of this hero's journey. You know, and this is true in so many of the journeys of uh, heroes uh, in many different contexts. So the sense of ordinary and not ordinary, I think, is also an interesting piece for us to um, tap into for this kind of practice. Uh, and feel into that for yourself. That includes uh, recognition of who you are and the complexity of who you are. That includes seeing that, that which we have visual sense of and which we experience energetic are two different things. That includes also recognizing that there's actually this immense power at our disposal if we understand how to cultivate that and how to use that. So each time that we sit, I told you, it seems like we go through this kind of journey too. So we go through this journey of being on the threshold, the call. So the call is actually the call to go deep, the call to see what's really true. 
then we get challenged, as I said. And we get challenged during the time of trying to be present and each time that we do that. And then there's the return and the integration. So as we come back again, how do we integrate what we have understood, what we have seen into the way that we live our life? So just like in this whole series, there's one big arc, but then there's also smaller arcs in each of the books, actually. In all of our lives, there's this larger arc of our journey, our journey as uh, heroes. And it also, there's many smaller arcs as it happens like this. And I think it's helpful to reflect on this, not in some sense of um, becoming overly grandiose or like arrogant about your life, like, you know, I'm the savior and nobody else is, right? Uh, because actually all of us are in some way. You know, all of us are heroes on that journey. But actually to inspire you, so to inspire you as you go through this. You know, you're part of this, uh, this template of this journey that has been human beings seeking this kind of freedom for generations, for hundreds of years, even thousands of years, so across space and across time. And to be inspired also about the choice that we have in that. So the choice that we have of seeing what's there and being able to work with that. Being able to sink deeper into the sense of of interdependence, of connection with others and acting from that. And in the end to prevail like Harry did. So both for your own sake and also for the sake of all beings. So I'll stop there with my reflections on this because I know we have some fans out here who I'm sure have your own uh, reflections or questions that you want to share too. So let's see uh, if anyone has any thoughts that you want to share, either questions about this or your own reflections as you've seen these movies, read these books about uh, the Dharma of Harry Potter. I think the mic's coming over to you. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Um, so in the beginning, you started off with uh, Harry Potter is not just popular in the U.S., but internationally. Yeah. Um, could you explain or just extrapolate on how, um, like, this uh, hero's journey fits internationally? Yeah. Yeah, I think, it. you know, the... the this term of in hero's journey and that um, structure that I described is from a guy named Joseph Campbell, uh, who was kind of an anthropologist of mythology. So he actually studied myths through uh, all different cultures uh, and kind of pulled this out as like some um, general template for the hero's journey. So I I think it's from that that um, we can see that there's something universal about that story, you know. And uh, like the Odyssey is an example in, in Greek mythology. Or in um, South Asian society, there's the Ramayana and Mahabharata, right, of, uh, also the hero's quest uh, in some way. Um, yeah, I've been, I was thinking about other films, even like um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I think is another one. You know? <laughs> so Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So, you know, Charlie, he goes through this initiation and then there's a big piece of integrity in that too right so it's like who's going to be the who's going to get the chocolate factory in the end and then uh you know everyone else starts to fall out one by one because they succumb to greed like eating the giant blueberry or uh 
you know, wanting the golden egg or, you know, pride or this or that, right? And Charlie's about to be out also because he's stolen like the one piece of, I think it's like everlasting gobstopper or something, right? And uh, then in the end, he actually just goes back and puts it on the desk and leaves it. And that, that itself is like, he's in, right? Um, so it seems like there's something very um, universal about this in many different cultures. And I feel like that speaks to all of our desire to... Uh, desire and also this sense that there's something more than what we see here, you know, in our lives. So the Buddha described this also. Like, I feel like that's part of the description of um, dukkha, of like this unsatisfactoriness about this mundane way of life. Like, is this all it is? It's just like eat and sleep and commute and work and eat and sleep and commute, you know. Is that, is that like all it's about? Like, is that what we're supposed to do here? And then, you know then die, is that it? Right. Like, is there, is there not something more in some way? And, you know, it's interesting to read the stories from 2,600 years ago, even of the, the Buddha's time and of each of the monks and nuns and his own quest. And uh, they all go through some kind of sort of existential angst in this way, like about things. And for me, as someone who also works with leaders as a coach and like consultant and things, like all of us are sort of on this quest in some way. Like, how can we bring forth that which is within us? Like, how can we each shine in this beautiful, unique, like manifestation of life that we are? You know, uh, and not just for our individual glory, but actually like for the betterment of everyone. You know, and and just for the beauty of it being there. You know, for the the blooming of the flower, something like that. So to me, it seems like it is very um, universal in that way. And then, you know, of course, the popularity of the films and the books also bears that out. So I was actually in Japan when the um, last movie came out, or the second to the last movie came out in, like, October, November. And, uh, yeah, it was all over in uh, Tokyo, and uh, it was very popular there, it seems like. So, uh, yeah. Do you have any... Have you had any uh, experience with that, or you're just curious about it? I've been in Brussels since last year. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's something kind of universal. And the interesting thing, too, is I feel like, um, you know, even in watching the movies and things, it's not even Harry himself who's like the most likable character. It's just kind of like the whole world and the whole configuration of things. And I think this whole kind of hero's journey that he's on that's very uh, inspiring. Right? So it both is like good entertainment and it's, you know, great special effects and it's, you know, all this stuff. and the relationships, but I think there's something deeper, like that's you know pulling uh, the popularity of this whole series that like we can all relate to. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Is there a mic around? I don't really need a mic. Do they, okay. they have a recording? Oh, so you're sure. <laughs> For the benefit of all who hear this after. Um, I think also that there's. Um, uh, something like that with uh, women characters as well. For example, um, Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. Dorothy, I think about her quite a bit, and even Alice in Wonderland. And there's a similar theme in both of those. So I think both of them were reaching out for something else and thinking they had to go really far away from home to find it. Right. So um, I think the female uh, quest for the, the heroine's journey is there too. Yes, thank you. Thank you for bringing it up like that. I was actually trying to like um, remove some of the gender stuff from uh, like Joseph Campbell's framework is very male in some ways. So actually his thing about unconditional love is about the 
uh, goddess and you know there's the temptation is about temptation of women and stuff like that so I feel like that's one framing but I think you're absolutely right there's this other uh, there's a whole other field of characters that have the similar thing yeah, I think one of the things that's really seductive about Harry Potter and about the Narnia books is that the other world is just a, a closet door away. I mean, it, it's just there. And um, for all of us, it, it's, it's exciting to, to think, oh, if I just close my eyes, I'm there. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you are. <laughs> so that's great. And that's, that's the truth. Like, that's partly what I'm trying to convey about this, like why I'm choosing to do a Dharma talk on it, not just because I like the books, but I feel like it's actually there. <laughs> you know, like this, this sense of um, uh, magic or this sense of things not being as they seem. Um, you know, there's Zen saying, like, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. You know, both sides of that, right? Uh, both sides of that are true. And... When you actually start to pay attention, when you actually develop your concentration and are able to actually pay attention in a moment-by-moment way to what is reality. So the reality that we see is this series of experiences, series of moving experiences, uh, changing experiences in the realms of sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, and the mind, right? The mind and ideas. So being able to see those for exactly just what they are it both breaks up the illusion, the magic of solidity of the world as we know it now, but also it actually gives you access to something much greater, you know, beyond this changing show. So what is there uh, beyond what we think is there? And also lets you see that the way that things appear solid, the way that things appear a certain way, is not actually just how it is too. You know? So there is a way in which you can run through the columns. You know? <laughs> There's a way in which you can do all this stuff, right? Now, I should bear mentioning, too, that actually there is a way in which um, there's descriptions of various magical powers that you actually can develop through meditation. This is not like commonly um, described or aspired for in 21st century uh, America, but actually spiritual adepts. So if you want to develop the concentration powers of your mind to a very, very refined ability, right, there is the ability to actually walk through walls. There is the ability to actually uh, move through space and time. There's the ability to do all kinds of different things. Now, and the, the Buddha never actually encouraged his people to spend that much time doing that because you can actually develop the concentration and also apply that to seeing into the nature of things and become free. So he was always like, oh, it's better to do that. In fact, there's some story of, um, you know, he was traveling with some of his uh, monks and nuns across some river and then someone else from some other school was like levitating over the river, right? And then, you know, his monks and I was like, man, how come you don't teach us to do that? That would be, why are we just, you know, taking the ferry across? And, and he said, well, you know how much that's worth? You know, like two gold farthings, like the price of the ferry, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, you know, keep your, basically keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball of what we're up to here, right? So you can, like, play games in samsara. You can, you know walk on this side of the wall and suffer here, and you can walk through the wall and suffer there, or you can actually like, bring the, that ability to bear on freeing yourself and others. So, you know. But just to say, like, it is actually there. Like, the, you know, there is that ability to cultivate those powers if you care to. Um, what I would uh, take note of, too, is that the hero, such as Harry Potter, when he is successful 
and his journey. And, and he brings not only his friends, but he saves Hogwarts. He brings, I mean, so many people with him in his own success. And I really relate to that, too, here, because um, I'm finding that the, the deeper I get into my own practice, there are more people that I can draw into um, a more positive way of living their life as well. People are asking, what are you doing? What's different? You know. And so I think the practice brings others with it. Yeah, I think it very much does. And it's very much there in the story too. And there's different times also in Harry's journey when he's like, I'm going to go it alone. Like he tries to shake his friends and he's going to do it alone. And he never can, right? And his friends are so loyal. They basically tail him and help him even when he doesn't want them to. So Ron and Hermione and all of his pals are like, no, we're here, we're in this with you. And it also calls into question the role of like, who is, who is saving who, too. You know, so Harry becomes a teacher and he teaches them all this uh, Patronum spell. Like he teaches them this kind of loving-kindness protection spell. But then they all also become part of his um, gang and help him to do what it is that he needs to do. So they become sort of Dumbledore's army and go out to, uh, you know, fight together, these uh, plucky teens, right? Um, so it's, it's very beautiful in that way. And it's also that, that sense of sangha, that sense of community, right, coming together. And Harry starts to recognize that too, after a while. You know, he's sort of like the, you know, they say the chosen one or the designated one, and it's just sort of like, oh, this is my role. But uh, it's definitely not him alone in that too. Anyone else? I have so many questions. Um, so my question is in relation to the call. Uh, so I, w- I work with uh, children and teenagers who have diabetes. And, you know, it's different for everybody. And so some get it where, okay, I have to do this and that to control my blood sugars. Others don't. Um, and I think the common thing is some they have come to some relation and they realize that they have some call and some don't have some call. So is there, can a call be caused? Is it natural? What's, can you describe more about this call? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really good question and particularly with something like that, right? And some of it is just like our recognition of anything as the call. Right? So this is, this is the benefit of also leading some kind of life in which you have some... Uh, you know, it, it, spiritual life sometimes seems too lofty, but like this life of learning, of growth, of development. So you could see like some kids, like they might take it, take it on and like, oh, this is the call. And, and actually any stru- struggle, suffering, actually calls us to become more aware in that area. So areas in which we've been asleep, it makes you wake up. So like I know people who are diabetic and they're very aware of what they're eating, right? It actually calls them to this different relationship with their body and with food and to be much more uh, connected in that way, right? And you could see it as that, and then actually sort of take that on, and that actually makes you a more awake person, a more connected person. Or it could just be like pure suffering, and like, why me, and stuff like that, right? Uh, So some of it is just in our attitude, I think. You know, like our own attitude towards whatever it is that comes up. So if you think about anything that is a struggle for you in your life right now, right, or has been a struggle in the past, right, and it could be like a physical challenge that you have, it could be a challenge with some person in your life who's, you know, at the moment you're labeling a pain in the neck or difficult. Um, it could be a struggle with some kind of situation that's going on, like financial, emotional, whatever, right? So all of this can be for us actually 
part of this call. Like we can actually take this as a call, like calling us to a different level, right? It's calling us to pay attention in a different way. It's calling us to learn, right? And you might find this uh, to be true that sometimes you try and ditch this call, so you ignore it. You're like, oh, I'm going to move away from this difficult person. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to leave this neighborhood and go over here. I'm going to quit this job because this guy's difficult. And then that guy turns up in another form over here. <laughs> you know? So the call comes. The call is persistent. You know? It's sort of like until you learn what you need to learn or something you know, that will keep on coming up. And then once you master that, then the next thing comes. Right? The next thing comes and uh, you, gain in, uh, you gain in that sphere. Right? So in some ways I feel like it's that. Um, that's one of the magical parts is that what seems to be just pure suffering becomes actually this great uh, opportunity, right, for stepping up. Uh, and um, you can learn how to basically like compost all of the stuff that, that comes through your life, you know. So then if things are good, they're good, you can enjoy them. And when things are difficult, you can learn to like churn that under, like work with that, like learn and grow, right. And I feel like I've seen this so much, both in my own life and in working with others, you know, as a Dharma teacher, as a coach, like people who've gone through incredibly difficult things in their life, right? And, and you, you probably also know this, have met people or you yourself or someone like this. So some people are just beaten down by life, you know? Something difficult happens and terrible things happen to people, you know? Samsara, it's very difficult, right? So people are harmed, people are killed, right? Uh, terrible uh, injustices happen. And some people become like kind of bitter and beaten down by it, and other people sort of learn from that, uh, grow from that, prevail. I think among the elements of that is one, getting out of the like, why me mentality, right? So as long as someone's in this like, oh, it's just me, and you know, kind of very myopic vision of like, oh, why is this happening to me? I'm suffering so much, right? You don't see that actually like at the same time that that very thing is happening to you, it's happening to like millions of other people. Like, it's not just you. Right? That's actually this very, like, self-centered view that is habitually there for us, but that it's really helpful to see through. Right? So something like, actually, the template of a, the hero's journey, I think, is helpful to be able to see through that, to see, like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a trial, right? This is a difficulty along the way, and, like, step through that, right? Like, this is my call. Like, this is actually calling me to courage and to awareness, right? Now, granted, if you're in mopiness for a while, you know, so it goes and just recognize, okay, this is mopiness. This is like <laughs> feeling uh, disheartened. This is feeling like uh, defeated by this, you know. And then, you know, try and have compassion for yourself also. You know, try and cultivate compassion. But don't let yourself stay there forever if you can, you know. That, that's where like you, you, don't, you don't heed the call and you just kind of wallow in that, right. And then there also, I think, is the interconnection. So which is there in the series too of like the connection with others. So not just the sense that I'm doing this for myself, but like, oh, actually as I do this, I'm inspiring other people. Or like I have the potential to inspire other people. Right? And as soon as you do that, then it takes you to another level. Like you actually gain energy from those connections. Right? So that's also where is the question of like, well, who is the uh, one who is giving and who is the receiver right? in all of these cycles too? Right? So yeah, thank you for your question. So we're actually coming to the end of our time here. So I want to give you a little reflection to do for yourself on your hero's journey. So 
So what's, what's being called of you right now? Like what is, your, what is your challenge in your life? What is the thing that you're struggling with? It could be in your practice, in your life. What is this area that's some kind of edge for you? And where are you in relationship to this? So what's that like for you right now? Are you trying to ignore it? Are you struggling a lot? Are you feeling defeated? And what's a way that you can work with this differently? So what's a way in which this dukkha, this challenge, this difficulty can become part of your path? What is your call for learning in this? Who are your guides who can inspire you? People who you know or teachings? And then can you also, like Harry, resolve to do your best to heed that call, so to step over the threshold, to meet that challenge, to venture into that unknown. So knowing that you have at your disposal these powers of metta, of loving kindness, of your own integrity and goodness, and of your community, your friends, your loved ones, and of all those who have been on the hero's journey in the past and in the future. So you're part of that fellowship, that brotherhood and sisterhood. Every single one of us. So as we connect with the togetherness and the connections with others, we can also reflect on our own goodness in doing our best today, here in meditation, in listening to the Dharma, in trying to understand. And we can share these blessings with everyone here and with all beings. So we can connect again with the goodness of our heart and share the merit from our practice. May all beings be peaceful and happy. May all beings be strong and healthy. May all beings be safe. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you so much for your attention and engagement today. And ask you also to support me on my journey too. So I appreciate your donations that you make uh, as I embark on the unusual path of Dharma teaching here in the 21st century. 
and I'll stick around also if anyone has any questions or something that they didn't uh, feel like they could say in the group also we can talk a little bit too. So thank you.